Hello and welcome to the Visa Angle, an Visa Partners podcast where we analyze the biggest stories from around the world and their impact on business and policy. Visa Partners is a global public affairs and government relations consulting firm. You can learn more at avisa-partners.com. And you can find the Visa Angle on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. I'm your host, Daniel Flesh, coming to you from our office in Washington, D.C. On today's episode of the Avisa Angle, we're going to do something new. We're going to explore a particular capability that helps us in our work and perhaps can help you and yours as well. Originating in the world of spycraft and military intelligence, humans, or human intelligence, is the act of gaining information or intelligence from human sources. But it's not just James Bond or Jason Bourne that can utilize humans. As we will explore, human has very real applications in the world of business and indeed in our everyday lives. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming the perfect person to explore this world to the podcast. Jen Hoare is a managing director at Ford Risk, the due diligence firm of Visa Partners recently acquired. You will recall I spoke with Ford Risk's co-founder, Brendan Fu, a couple weeks ago. Well, that episode was so well-received that I want to explore further the idea of humans. And Jen, as a self-described recovering journalist, can you talk to us about what that means and how you apply human in your everyday life, in your practice? Yes, of course. And I don't know Jason Bourne, though I do love those films. Um, human, human intelligence is a what I call a fancy term for talking to people and learning from them for your job or maybe for your personal life. And fundamentally what I say about being a recovering journalist is I really thrived doing research by talking to smart people. And what I learned when I discovered the corporate intelligence and investigations industry is that that skill is applicable to the private sector. Mm-hmm. Forward risk and um, in various um, previous iterations of my career, we focus on working for investors and law firms and companies that need information before they make a decision about an acquisition, an executive hire, or maybe entering a new market. And so human beings are a gold mine of insight and information and the skill of identifying who's knowledgeable about something, including something very niche and accessing their knowledge is really the domain of this human intelligence tradecraft. So this sounds, dare I say, a bit pedantic in that the idea is how do you talk to people, right? Something that we mm. do every day in the most casual settings and also in the most elevated or secluded or professional settings as well. So how do you how do you capture the idea of talking with someone, of accessing them and talking with them? I think of it as really putting the spotlight on another person and deferring to their expertise. And that is something that can be applied to any career and any part of your job. Talking to a client, a colleague, um, a prospective client, in my case, in my daily life or daily job, a, a source mm-hmm. that I talk to for a project. It's deferring to what somebody else knows and harnessing that through asking questions. And by the way, those questions don't need to be complicated, perfect, uh, Peter Jennings grade, mm-hmm. um, gotcha, Barbara Walters era right. questions. They can be very general and high level. And I think a lot of people un- underestimate the virtues of c- 
curiosity that is manifested and shared by just asking something like, how do you like working at your job? What do you do every day? What's your favorite part? What's challenging for you? What are you working on now? That miscellany of questions alone get a conversation started. They didn't require a lot of knowledge on my right. part. They're all it, basic questions right there. Exactly. Yeah. It just required me to put myself aside and put the attention on this fictitious person I'm interviewing um, and, and making it all about them. Mm-hmm. And that will elicit so much information and interesting feedback that you can then take with you and write up in a report or share with a colleague or go back to a client and provide a proposal that's really customized to what you learn from that prospective client rather than going to somebody and talking at them. Right. So speaking of Barbara Walters and Peter Jennings, uh, you obviously used to be in the world of journalism, which is, I presume, where you kind of develop this craft. And also talking about putting the spotlight on them uh, as my guest here on the show, what is your background? Where did you come from? I actually did work at ABC News. <laughs> there you maybe go. Maybe that's my reference to Peter Jennings and Barbara, Walter, uh, Barbara Walters. Um, I started in broadcast news at ABC News, and I worked at a couple of other um, – I worked at National Journal's The Hotline, which is a, was or is a political publication online. Um, I worked on a book for Martha Raddatz, and I worked online at CBS, or CBSnews.com, mm-hmm. uh, the website for, for the broadcast network. And through that, I learned how much I loved um, getting a story through the lens of people's knowledge. And I also love the chase um, and the creativity of where do you turn for information? And as you and I have talked before, I am a big believer and advocate of the fact that you can turn to anyone and ask anything you want. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you'll get an answer. Right. But it is really empowering um, and autonomy enhancing to me to know that if I identify somebody who knows something – the worst that I could hear is no. Or crickets, but I, right. But I can, I, I'm, a, I'm allowed to ask someone for their uh, insight about something. And one of the skills that I think is really valuable, um, or, or traits maybe I should say, is persistence. And a comprehensive kind of gentle ruthlessness um, about pursuing a conversation with somebody who interests you, who knows something, who you want to learn from. And I inculcate that in the team here at Forward Risk in the interviews that we do. Well, very good. Very good. So anyway, in today's day and age, just state the obvious for the last 15 plus years is you can reach someone via phone, via LinkedIn, social media, other social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to their building and knock on their door, but basically anyone can be got to in terms of reached in any way shape or form which in many ways i presume makes this this work a lot easier than it was a number of years ago and even even reaching people across the country even across the world that's a good point um you'll be surprised to hear that i'm very old-fashioned in that i believe in the use of the telephone Mm. and that describe what that is actually (laughs) I think it's so impactful. Pick up the phone and call. And more efficient right. to talk to somebody on the phone, especially 
in first outreach. Mm -hmm. And that's scary to people. And I have to kind of uh, try to mitigate that fear in um, some of the some of the folks I've worked with over the years, sometimes my own fear, but it is really the best way to connect with somebody. Um, And that enables talking to people as I did, for example, this morning, I talked to people um, and on a different continent, first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. um, through through the phone. And th- those are sources that I found through online research and creativity um, that comes from that open source kind of angle on um, what Forward Risk does. But fundamentally contacting somebody it and the, the interview and the exchange of information or the soliciting of information has to happen real time and verbally right and particularly because also you don't get the tonal inflections and the we hear from someone's voice and mm-hmm. how they're reacting to your response versus over an email or a text message some other electronic communication so if you get someone on the phone how do you work at getting them to give you the information that you're looking for this is going to sound really boring but I'm just myself. I'm, I'm the going, exact I'm, way I am with you right yeah, now. Yeah. I explain what I'm doing, who I am, that I'm a recovering journalist. A lot of times people, understandably, they just want to know what kind of call is this and what does this person want and who is she and what kind of job does she do? And the very least I could do, especially in cold outreach, is to furnish someone with all the information they need to decide if they want to help because mm-hmm. it's completely up to them. Mm-hmm. And so there's no trick to it. There shouldn't be. Right. It's extremely straightforward. Um, I, I'm my same personality, and it's very important for I, as the interviewer, any of the members of my team as interviewers, to be comfortable themselves. Right. Because if they are nervous, the other person's going to be nervous, and there's nothing to be nervous about. So um, that comfort, the, the rapport you develop with somebody, the trust that you could build in one conversation with somebody is essential to leading into a conversation where you have um, the ability and, and then the license that the person has given you basically to start to ask them things about what they know. So is there some cases, recent history or a little bit, a little bit further back where human intelligence came in particularly handy either for yourself or the case in the news you might have seen or where human intelligence or maybe you shouldn't call it that that's too specific so source gathering how do you refer to it source intelligence source intelligence source inquiry source inquiry there we go um uh where it uh, came up short where a little bit more uh, intelligence of sources could have helped a business decision or helped someone in some other you know big decision I'm so glad you said that because that is my refrain constantly of how human intelligence or source inquiries can augment what you can learn online. Mm -hmm. And there are things that you really can never learn, for example, about an executive that would be written down on paper, such as what is this CEO like to work with? Strengths, weaknesses, um, areas for expansion and growth, um, problems, challenges. Some of those things are not going to come up in a news article. But if you find a former employee or colleague or investor or customer and say, I want to talk to you candidly, unvarnishedly, what is it like working with this person? You get color and insight that you you cannot get on paper. Um, You create kind of a 3D image of the person in some ways. That's a good way of describing it. And then 
certainly there are instances where source work um, fills gaps in um, the story that public records research is telling. And um, I have a case that I've been working on with several of my forward risk colleagues where it's been a beautiful symphony of both open source and human source intelligence where we're getting leads and research from both sides that are informing each other. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's working perfectly. It, not always, it, that's not always the case that we're engaged to do both of those parts. Um, but I've, the more I see the two harmonized, um, the, the cooler it is to see these, these different dimensions of intelligence collection uh, shaping each other. Is it often easier if you are given an assignment where it's open-ended and it's on you to decide what it is you're trying to elicit from the person or learn about learn about the the target or the source uh, versus you're given parameters and operating within those. What's more enjoyable for you? What do you find you're more efficient at? Oh, that's a great question. You sound like you'd be a great client. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it this is an unsatisfying response, but it depends. Right. Um, what I do think is important to emphasize is we are never in the business of proving a point for someone. Okay. So it's one thing to have parameters of here are the questions we want to answer. I'm speaking uh, hypothetically on behalf right. of a fictitious client. Sure. Here's the questions we want to answer. That that guy those guidelines and parameters are helpful because then we have a way to focus uh, not only the open source but you know what I'm asking the sources that that we identify. Um, but I what I think is is not what the the um, remit of the intelligence field is, and this is true in the public sector too. Is you're going to tell me what point I'm proving? Case in yeah. point. WMDs in Iraq, something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to I'm going to only look for the intelligence that proves something. That's not rigorous, that's not independent. Mm -hmm. So, I feel strongly about um certainly having parameters of what my collection intelligence collection requirements are so that I can be helpful to that client in what the sources are telling me. Um and then to your point about the open-ended stuff, that's that's fun too. But I find that sometimes when it's too broad, clients are then not satisfied because it's, it's you, too universal. Right. And you weren't able to, they might not have been able to enunciate what they need, although they clearly had a need. And if you bring back a product that misses that need, then there's a disconnect and you're that's viewed right. as a you know, poor performer. Exactly, exactly. And I and I think that um, sometimes, um, and I enjoy this process actually, sometimes um, the role that we play is helping to shape what the questions are the clients yeah. are asking. They, they have a, an idea of what they want to hire us for, but sometimes in dialogue with them, we refine what the, the intelligence collection requirements mm -hmm. are. That helps us to do better. That also helps them out right. because then they're getting more nuanced answers and information to help them make decisions because ultimately that's what the intelligence is about is should we make this acquisition if so how should we do it should we retain the management team should we switch out the ceo should we enter this country and start working in this market if so how should we do it right and really broad questions or not as you could you could read that yourself online the virtue of working with a firm like for a risk is that you're getting a very customized answer set of answers to your questions yeah yeah um that oh man 
So if we look at uh, recent events, I mean, I talked with uh, Brendan a couple of weeks ago, uh, right. one of the co-founders of Ford Risk. And you know, based on the response to that conversation, I was wanted to bring someone else from Ford Risk on to talk more specifically, tactically, what you guys do and, and how it can help, again, our, our listeners out there. But we talked a bit about Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, and I don't want to keep beating a dead horse. That story's been told over, at least in the last couple of months. But him... Uh, George Santos, the Republican congressman from New York, who's lied about his resume to the voters. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, Theranos, Elizabeth Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. There's, these are not the only cast of characters, but it seems like certain due diligence would have uncovered a bit about not only their operations, really the people themselves, right. the, the men themselves or the women. Um, so in looking back at those cases or in general, how can investors how can shareholders how can clients how can whomever have do a better job of investigating where they're putting their money or who they're getting in bed with uh through using open source intelligence oh daniel thank you for inviting me onto my own soapbox oh there we um, go this is my but you're still sitting down you're not giving up on it <laughs> <laughs> this is a great uh a very very important topic that i talk about with my colleagues and post on linkedin about to the annoyance of my friends and contacts um I feel very strongly about the fact that in many of the instances that you enumerated, the fundamental problem was misrepresentation, fabrication, pathological lying, and lack of integrity in the very people at the heart of those organizations. Yeah, not one and person. I, while I'm not a psychologist and I'm not – uh, a, a behavioral expert per se, what I have learned in my work in the course of talking to human beings about their experience working with other human beings is that there are indicators of things like integrity, honesty, uh, ethics that can foretell things that may come to pass. So maybe the, uh, for example, the, the instance of the company, the fintech company Frank that J.P. Morgan mm. acquired, maybe the exact act of fabricating spreadsheets of customers had not been done before um, by that founder, Charlie Javis. But I'm nearly certain, not having worked on the case to be fair, I'm nearly certain there were things she was doing in her past that c were prognostications of dishonesty, misrepresentation, fabrication, playing fast and loose with upstanding business practices. Mm -hmm. And that is the type of, uh, that is very much the domain of human intelligence. If, if someone had retained a firm like ours to look at Elizabeth Holmes or um, Charlie Javis or, or Sam Bankman-Fried to get a sense of the track record for integrity, I think there would have been instances substantiating at least question marks in conduct hmm. and not proving exactly what they were going to do in these high-profile matters in their own companies, but establishing um, a portrait of what that person is about. And obviously I'm talking specifically from the human intelligence angle that's highly qualitative, but in the instance of, say, George Santos, I mean, it, it's kind of painful to watch all of these things unfold because right. many of these um, fabrications 
could have been easily discernible through public records research. Right, which I want to give a shout out to, I don't know the name of the publication, but supposedly a local paper, right. uh, this Island. editor in Long Island uncovered this two years ago. He said he sat down with the guy when he was fundraising and he said, I see right through you essentially, sounding the alarm, but no one no one picked up on this or no one cared to really. Um, right. Yeah, separate question somewhat. You mentioned integrity a lot and it seems like that would be something that in these cases we've talked about, you, know, you try to define the integrity of a person um, to, yeah, they might not be, they might not have fabricated spreadsheets before, but yet if they have a penchant for certain or proclivities for certain activities or ways they think about, about business in particular, then they're more likely perhaps to be a fraud or have some other illicit activity going on. I guess I'd ask, how do you define integrity? Great question. Um, I definitely, I, th I, I can talk about it in terms of components. Maybe I don't have the perfect seamless definition. I don't have a Merriam-Webster in front of me, so okay. <laughs> I think a track record of conduct um, insofar as how a person treats other people and upholds ethical standards are at the heart of integrity. And that is substantiated and demonstrated through actions over time. And that is why I think looking at a person's prior record of conduct mm -hmm in jobs they previously held? How did they treat employees? How did they maintain the standards um, uh, of, of the law, certainly, um, of ethics, compliance, um, of uh, moral behavior in the workplace over time, previously? That is going to be a useful indicator of how they're going to act in the future. And that's true of human beings in general. And so I think at very much at the heart of integrity is, is one's consistent behavior according to um, ethical, moral, and legal standards over time. That right. would be my uh, outline of it. Uh, that seems to make sense. It's one of those things also you can, you can tell someone does not have integrity if they conduct themselves in a certain way, but it's hard to pinpoint how, how high their integrity is, at least if we speak of in terms of the scale. That's right. And I, and I would also... I would also share that I think um, the reason why, for instance, in open source research, if we find that an individual has misrepresented his or her educational background, that may seem inconsequential. That was 20 years ago. Mm. That's still a dishonesty. Right. And this is me speaking personally, not for forward risk. Just what I've learned in life and in my career is uh, those who lie in small things lie can lie in all things. Yeah. So it, it's not to be discounted. And then there's also the kind of um, the, the moral justifications that come with um, explaining small things away. Um, well, or, lies or, beget lies. Yeah, there's yeah. that. And then there's also the, oh, it wasn't a lie of commission. It was a lie, lie of, of omission. omission right. Or it was a misrepresentation. Yeah. Was it purposeful? Because that's somebody who's trying to hide something. Right. And in our line of work, people who are trying to hide something usually aren't trying to hide something positive. <laughs> so the certain industries that you, you work in or you, you know, have particular, um, particularly enjoy? That's a great question. I, um, the, the fun thing about my work is that it's, at least on the human intelligence side, is it's really industry sector geography agnostic. Mm -hmm. Fancy way of saying it's taking the skills and applying them to whatever comes up because the skills are fundamentally about who knows something, right. everyone, 
I don't know anything. No, I'm not saying I don't know anything, but on a given topic, I'm working on a topic right now um, that I, I'm not an expert in, but my skill is finding people who know more about it than I do. And that is so fun and it's so productive. And even if that first person I go to doesn't know everything, I always say, who do you know or who should I talk to? Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of the industries that I've worked in, project-wise, um, energy, uh, aviation, um, infrastructure, telecom, healthcare, entertainment, uh, Spans everything, right, mm-hmm. yeah. Really right, nice. and so it makes it sound like, oh, I know all these, in- I don't know all these industries intimately. Have I even done projects on sectors that when the project came to me, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, so I learned th- about it through talking to the people who work in it. And, and one point I want to raise as a result of that, that may be of interest and use for the audience is that the beauty of leading with questions is you're saying you don't know it. You, you you're saying you don't know anything. You're deferring to somebody's, somebody else's knowledge. Yeah. So you're not supposed to know everything. Right. And a lot of times, uh, people I teach or, or, um, talk to about, you know, how do you go to a, into a meeting and ask questions? They'll say, well, oh, well isn't that going to make me look dumb? And I say, what makes you look dumb is is not knowing and not asking. Right. And then you get to an advanced point and you should have asked in, at the beginning and you didn't. The most uh, gracious and curious thing you can do, especially early on in talking to somebody, is to be voracious with your questions. Mm-hmm. And it's flattering to the person you're talking to. It's also just really, really helpful. I hope you felt flattered during this uh, this recording. I feel flattered. <laughs> I know your job is to interview me. Um, I would much prefer to interview you, and I'm going to do that at some point. Maybe in a future episode, certainly. If so you give me permission. <laughs> so I want to end with uh, two final questions. One is, as I've been advised, is uh, is there anything we've missed here in the work you do and what our audience can learn from it, how they can apply it again in their professional work, whatever that is, uh, but certainly on a personal level as well. I think we talked about a lot of different things and, you know, there's no question that's a bad question. Simple questions can work, but anything else that you want to throw out there from, that people can learn from? I'm glad you asked. I think it's important to get comfortable with giving people space to fill silence. So in a conversation, and by the way, I'm an extrovert and that's extremely uncomfortable for me, so I've had to train myself on how to do that um, because I I like to talk a lot or ask constantly ask questions but there is something powerful and beneficial in giving space for people to uh, add what they think is important Um, I think that can be really helpful in meetings with colleagues Mm -hmm. Um, even when you're done speaking and they're done speaking letting some silence sit and give them an opportunity to share something that's on their mind Um, Maybe use that space to formulate your next question. If I could impart anything to the audience is to, the next time you're talking to somebody either interpersonally or in a meeting, make a little shift from what you're planning to say to what you're planning to ask Hmm. and see what that does and see how that changes the meeting and see how that changes the dynamic you have with another person. And, And the other thing I say about that is, you can show what you're interested in through the questions you ask. You don't need to make a point. You don't need to have a verbal PowerPoint slide. You can show what you care about through the interest you take in somebody and what they're doing. So I have a question for you. How oh do you think you could apply this in your job? Um, 
It's a very good question to put back on me. You're putting me on the hot seat right now. Of course. I should be on the other side of the table for this. Yes. Uh, well, certainly, I think eliciting more questions, getting back to my own question earlier, helps define the rules of the road uh, for what you're trying to get out of conversation, whether it's the client to define what the parameters of a project are whether holistically and in terms of a longer campaign that we work on here at Visa Partners or more specifically, a specific task, I need to learn X from Y person. Okay, but what is about that you need to learn? In addition, as we explore new industries to penetrate, knowing that we don't have to know everything about that. You certainly need to learn uh, a modicum amount of whatever, in whatever industry you're working in to be able to be proficient in it or at least speak the language, but ultimately, for those first few baby steps, it's about identifying the right people who can impart that information onto you. Because also, there's only so much you can learn from reading. You have to start speaking with people to get not only, as we spoke about before, the inflection in their voice about stuff, but also they'll bring things out of left field because that's how people's minds work versus reading down a page. It's very, you know, five paragraph essay-esque. So I think that's that'd be very helpful. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It, it sounds very, um, well, it sounds like you do it already and you're aware of it already. Yeah. But um, to the extent that, again, that shift from presenting to asking yeah. is kind of the key thing. And I, I, you made me think of something else, which I heard recently. There's a, there's a professor at Cornell named uh, Vanessa Bonds, and she has a book, um, You Have More Influence Than You Think. And I haven't read it yet, but I've heard her on um, podcasts, and I've read some of her articles and such. And I think that she, she or someone that she cites in her work did some research that when you, and this is more about persuasion, when you ask someone something for something in person or even on the phone, if I'm not mistaken, it's something like 44 times more effective than if you do it on email. So I bring hmm. this up only, not because we're talking about persuasion or influence per se, but because of the potency of in-person and phone interaction. And I was reminded of it by what you just said about that kind of free-flowing, unscheduled, unplanned way things go mm -hmm. in, in human exchange that is more rigid when it's asynchronous communication. So right. one, if you want to learn from people, have a synchronous discussion with them on the phone or in person. Um, and two, apparently, according to this research, um, if you're trying to achieve something or persuade somebody, make the ask in person. In person, over the phone versus an email where they don't know who you are. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. good. Or even if you know them, yeah. there's something about that medium that isn't as impactful. And right. I, I could apply an unscientific analysis of that's just completely based on my anecdotal experience of interviewing people is is you know you get you're present to each other mm -hmm. and so that exchange just le leads in different directions that it wouldn't if it were asynchronously right uh, it's more connected. of a repartee versus if i send you an email it's like you're responding to the email you're responding to me that's right, right. so before i ask you my final question i, I realized i should have asked you something as you mentioned just a few moments ago you know in having a conversation with people you can ask some questions you're interested in so as you know we, it's February, um, well, we're recording on February 1st, but we're going to be publishing this on February 2nd. Pitchers and catchers report to spring training in a few weeks. And so I, my question to you, we should talk about, is how the Cubs will, be, will do this season. i got a number of really good pickups in the offseason. The NL Central isn't looking so strong. Any thoughts? Because that's what I care about. Everything you just said is ancient Greek to me. Oh boy. I was raised okay. by professors, and I don't have any sports knowledge, much to the chagrin of several of my colleagues. So I will turn that to you. You seem to be really passionate about this. How are you feeling about the Cubs and their prospects? I'll just say I uh, we were under-promised 
over, uh, over the offseason. And so far, the Chicago Cubs seem to have over-delivered. But we'll save that for another podcast in the future episode, maybe when you talk to me about my interests. Well, you just implemented something we were talking about earlier, which is you showed me what you care about yeah. through the question you asked. There we go. Leading question, shall we and say. And I showed my ignorance through the answer that I gave. There we go. So I want to end this podcast with a final question that I'm going to start doing in every episode. It is, you have, a, you have a choice. One is, is there a certain topic or news story that's not getting enough attention that you think people should be aware of? Or two, is there a certain person that's in particular uh, been impactful to you in this in the topic that we've been discussing today or a book to read or another podcast to listen to? I'm glad you asked. Um, I would like to talk about someone that's been impactful to me. He has not written a book, um, but he is a former CIA operations officer who masterfully parlayed his background um, in what he did, which you can figure out by watching Jason Bourne movies. Um, so you know Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> into uh, both being an interviewer and, you know, doing source work like I do, but also being a masterful business person. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by, his name is Steve. Um, I'll just leave it there. Um, I'm really fascinated about how Steve um, integrated the skills, tradecraft, and talent of his prior role into uh, the private sector and selling work to clients in an advisory and consulting capacity mm. um, and maintaining relationships with people. And I find that to be another really uh, interesting, useful application of human intelligence skills is business development and sales. Yeah. Of how do you how do you use the the practice of, of talking to people and asking questions and learning about them to develop client relationships over time. Yeah. And he did that really masterfully, and I'm a constant student of his. Well, maybe we'll have to be connected one day. Okay, maybe I'll get him on the podcast. <laughs> First name go. only. <laughs> 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 All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today and for our audience out there teaching us all about human intelligence, how we can apply in our professional and personal lives. Thank you, Daniel. It was a joy to be here, and I am going to compel you to let me interview you sometime in the future. We'll put it on the calendar. A lot of fun, and you're, you're, you're a great conversationalist. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, and we'll see everyone next week in another edition of The Avisa Angle.